Good afternoon. I hope you're having a great day. Not much dukkha. Just love. Hmm. There are so many things that I want to teach about metta that if I were to do them all, we'd be here until Joseph does his talk tonight. So I think none of you would appreciate that very much, so I'm going to try to keep myself down to a low hum. (laughs) And hope it's not ho-hum. So today we are... Can you hear me in the back? Okay, great. Uh, Today we are... um, having our final uh, session on the Brahma, on metta meditation. But it doesn't mean that your practice of metta is over. As a matter of fact, it's probably, it, it is just as portable a practice as the mindfulness practice is whether you're waiting for a bus or you're waiting in line to talk to the tax man or you're having um, a not-so-pleasant conversation with your boss or your employee or you're having uh, a beautiful time with your children or a difficult time with a relative who is dying, whatever the activity is that you are engaged in, this quality of metta, quality of loving kindness, this quality that Devon so beautifully taught you about yesterday is like the sun that shines on everyone. is truly a portable practice that the Buddha spoke about as protective. The story that introduces metta in the texts is that he sent his monks out into the forest to meditate at night. And they were, it, in those days there was really a forest. <laughs> Right, with wild animals and it's said in the text, um, spirits. And they got really scared, especially of the spirits in the forest. And they went running back to the Buddha and said, no, 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 we can't, we can't meditate there. That's not good. And the Buddha sent them back with this practice of metta, not this practice that we're teaching you, but essentially a practice of metta in which one radiates goodness all over the world from one's heart. And he told them that that would be their constant companion, the antidote to fear. So this is a powerful practice with powerful roots that 
Again, as Devin so beautifully said yesterday, we may think, you know, it's made up by a bunch of hippies, but actually it's a 2,600-year-old practice that has uh, benefited many of us who are uh, practitioners. I want to start by reading you a poem called Tomorrow's Child by Ruben Alves. What is hope? It is the presentiment that imagination is more real and reality is less real than it looks. It is the hunch that the overwhelming brutality of facts that oppress and repress us is not the last word. It is the suspicion that reality is more complex than the realists want us to believe. That the frontiers of the possible, listen to this closely, are not determined by the limits of the actual. And in a miraculous and unexplained way, life is opening up creative events that will open the way to freedom and resurrection. But the two, suffering and hope, must live from each other. Suffering without hope produces resentment and despair. But hope without suffering creates illusions, naivete, and drunkenness. So let us plant dates, even though we who plant them will never eat them. We must live by the love of what we will never see. That is the secret discipline. It is the refusal to let our creative act be dissolved away by our need for immediate sense experience. And it is a struggled commitment to the future of our grandchildren. Such disciplined hope is what has given prophets, revolutionaries, and saints the courage to die for the future they envisage. They make their own bodies the seed of their highest hopes. So this quality of heart and mind called metta, M-E-T-T-A, a Pali word variously translated as loving kindness, loving friendliness, love, which is my preferred translation. is a quality, a practice of protection, self-protection. 
It's an all-inclusive, universal, unconditional friendship to every single aspect of who we are. The hidden, the secret, the shadowy. We enter into metta with a spirit of adventure and inclusion. We enter into it with our ground being the wisdom of inexorable, unbreakable interconnection. That what we hope for, what we wish for, for ourselves and for others, is their unconditional, unqualified happiness, safety, peace, health, joy and ease. This is revolutionary. This is radical. Because, as again, as Devin said, it's like the sun that covers the whole world. And so there is no one, no one, no one who is outside of the circle of our loving kindness or our love. Martin Luther King joined connected love with power and said either one without the other would not work. He said that love without power could be sentimental and anemic and that power without love is reckless and abusive. So when we present our hearts in an open, unobstructed way to every single being that we encounter without exception, we are doing it from a powerful place. Many people say that they don't want to be kind and generous and loving because it makes them vulnerable. To use Martin Luther King's word, that's bosh. <laughs> because nobody asks you to disconnect your power, your love from the power that is within. And equally, you are not asked to exercise your power without love. So you can set aside reservations that you have about loving kindness, metta, maitri in Sanskrit, and enter into it with your open and full heart that knows that 
mindfulness meditation devoid of love will get you absolutely nowhere. It's unconditional friendliness to all aspects of ourselves. And when we have unconditional friendship and friendliness to all aspects of ourselves, we are reflecting the whole world. From Martin Luther King again. I love that man. This is from his Christmas Sermon on Peace in 1967. Never succumb to the temptation of becoming bitter as you press for justice. As you press for justice, be sure to move with dignity, discipline, and using only the instruments of love. If we are to have peace on earth, our loyalties must become ecumenical rather than sectional. Our loyalties must transcend our race, our tribe, our class, and our nation. We must learn to live together as brothers, and I include ancestors, and all beings, or we will perish together as fools. As nations and individuals, we are interdependent. It really boils down to this that all life is interrelated. We are all caught in an inescapable network of mutuality tied into a single garment of destiny. Whatever affects one directly affects all indirectly. We are made to live together because of the interrelated structure of reality. Did you ever stop to think that you can't leave your job for your job in the morning without being dependent on most of the world? You get up in the morning and go to the bathroom you reach for the sponge and it's handed to you by a Pacific Islander. You reach for a bar of soap and that's given to you at the hands of a Frenchman. And you go into the kitchen to drink your coffee and that's poured into your cup by a South American. And maybe you want tea that's poured into your cup by a Chinese. Or maybe you're desirous of having cocoa and that's poured into your cup by a West African. You reach for your toast, and that is given to you at the hands of an English-speaking farmer, not to mention the baker. And before you finish eating breakfast in the morning, you've depended on more than half the world. That's the way our universe is structured, and that is its interrelated quality. And we aren't going to have peace on Earth until we recognize the basic fact of the interrelated structure of all reality. So that is the background of our metta practice. That's what we recognize when we enter into it. A 
and today we're going to practice with the difficult person. I've been telling the story of a student who came to me and said he was doing metta for me, and I said, oh, thank you, am I your benefactor? <laughs> You got it. <laughs> he said, no, you're my enemy. You're my difficult person. I said, thank you for your metta. <laughs> it was good. I liked that. So when we do metta for the difficult person, or it's called in the text, the enemy, we are doing it today based on all of the practice you've done over the last uh, three days, the previous three days, which is someone asked the question about why we do it in this way, asked it of Devon yesterday. And it's because this was this this, the practice of metta was this particular practice that, that's been handed down to us. It's handed down to us by a monk called Buddha Gosa, who wrote a book called, in the 5th century, called The Path of Purification. And he puts the, um, the metta practice in his chapter 9 on concentration because it can be used as a concentration practice, the repetition of the phrases over and over and over and over again in a particular um, cadence and a particular uh, developmental stream brings concentration if we do it diligently. And Buddhaghosa very wisely asked us to prepare for this practice by um, considering the, uh, the detriments of hatred. So that as we sit down, the first thing we do is we really remember what happens when we hate, what happens when there is aversion in the heart. And we can, just, we can do that just from ourselves. We don't even have to like, do it you know, theoretically. Because if you're a person who's never hated anything or had aversion to anything, please raise your hand. Because I want to meet you. <laughs> Be with you forever. <laughs> so to first consider that, what are the detriments to hatred. And as a group of people of color, I'm sure we have no shortage of stories about encountering hatred, unfortunately. So we know it by being its target. And then he says, now, consider the benefits of patience. I 
thought you were going to say love. When I read that, I got my yellow marker and I marked it and marked it and marked it because I thought it was absolutely brilliant. That yes, we would expect him to say, consider the benefits of love and now I'm going to teach you how to develop it. But he asked us to develop patience instead. And I, I'm not going to talk about that a lot because I don't have a lot of time, but I want you to really consider that when you do your metta practice. Really, where am I impatient and how does that manifest in the world? How does it manifest in my life, my impatience? And how does it manifest in the world? What happens when I'm impatient? And then he designed this whole practice that we've been doing for these last few days and that people all over the world have been doing for centuries, millennia. So, having done the practice for oneself, the practice for um, a benefactor, the practice for a friend and a neutral person, we come to the difficult person. And the difficult person should not be your worst enemy that you start with. Because again, it's a developmental practice. So we are conditioning the heart as we go along. First of all, we're conditioning it in this external way towards people with whom we relate. But we are also, as we are doing that, we are conditioning it, we're conditioning our hearts to all of the places in ourselves that are very much um, a, a benefactor, a friend, a neutral person, and uh, a difficult person. So we could actually just direct metta to ourselves because we have all of those aspects in our own relationship with ourselves. So um, what I'd like to ask you to do is to uh, think about for a moment and oh there's just one more thing I want to say before we do it um, you may not have realized that all this time when you've been saying, um, may you be happy, may you be at peace, may you be safe, etc., that you've been using the hortatory subjunctive. <laughs> which is like the, 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 uh, the, the tense of voice that we use to say happy birthday, have a happy birthday. So we're, we're, we are wishing and at the same time Commanding, have a happy birthday, right? Be well, may you be well. It is my deepest wish that you be well and happy and safe. And the safety is what is our first need, isn't it? Survival, we want to survive. So we wish for safety. And the wish for um, 
a healthy body is like a wish for healing. And so these wishes that we are extending to others, we are at the same time extending them to ourselves because every time we make that wish, it is having a healing effect on our own bodies. And so to think that somehow this metta practice is some way of making something happen in the world is delusional. And I think as Devin said yesterday, it might be that it has some effect. Uh, you know, he was talking about his neutral person and how, and I have the same experience that my neutral person becomes, you know, has to be shifted like very often because no sooner do I start using them as my neutral person than our relationship changes and I see them and I think, oh, my neutral person. And I think, oh no, they're not neutral anymore, right? So, so we realize that this interconnectedness actually manifests in the, in the metta practice. And that as we are wishing it for some person who, is, who we think is external to us, that wish is redounding to, to ourselves, our minds, our hearts, our bodies. So we allow this enhanced sense of... Um, relative happiness to invade the brain as we wish it on, for someone else. And we open our hearts to possibilities that we have not yet entertained. So for this difficult person, it's particularly that way. The idea that this is someone who is, in some ways our relationship is difficult or they've, they've done something that maybe we even think is unforgivable but there's no such thing, no such thing. If we really understand the nature of this human realm and we see ourselves and how we have been in, in, in the world and the harm that we have done, there is no such thing as unforgivable. We may never want to have a relationship with that person again because we don't want to put ourselves in harm's way, but it's not unforgivable. So we have these wishes of safety and happiness and healing and ease without denying how things actually are. And we can reflect what is true safety. And a, a friend of mine says, why don't we have a, the possibility of approach and soothe rather than fight and flight? We can see our resistance, we can see our separation, we can see all of those inner enemies that we have. Because that's what causes the most trouble. It's not the external difficult people. It's our inner enemies. And so that's, we're addressing our metta to those inner enemies in the same way when we, when we address it outwardly. So let's, um, let's do some practice together. And let the metta pour like a bomb into any wounds that you have in the sense of trust, 
let the metta heal those. Pour metta on the wound of, on the wound itself and on this wounded one, this dear one, this one on the cushion, and then to that other being and onto the emotion or the separation or the trauma in oneself or in this other being. So picture this being. First, just allow the metta, just the rain or the sun of metta, however you want to imagine it, pouring down on you like a healing bomb. All coming down your head and covering your entire body internally and externally. And paying attention to your heart, to your heart center, and seeing how open it can be, and however open or closed it is, is okay. and affirm the healing capacity of your metta and let the trust in it carry you along. Our inner nature, when we open to it without judgment, reveals its beauty and what we discover is the secret is love. So we're going to send kindness, wishes of loving kindness to this person who may have harmed us, not our worst enemy, but this person who may have done some harm in our lives. And can you get a clear picture of this being? and recognizing your common humanity. With no need for results. Sending love unconditionally and universally to this being and by uh, connection to any other beings who may have harmed us. May you be safe, protected from all harm and danger. I recognize your fears, your past difficulties, and that you, like all beings, are looking for refuge, deep refuge. And I wish for your safety as the basis of a happy and easeful life. May you be safe, protected from all harm and danger.
May you be happy and peaceful of heart. And here we're inviting metta to alleviate the distress in the mind stream or a contraction in the heart, either ours or of this being or both. Wishing you pure spiritual happiness and deep peace. May you be healthy of body. And as we wish this, pervading our metta down to the molecular level of this being, filling all of the spaces in this being's life and body, knowing that metta is a balancer and a healer. And may you live with ease, caring for yourself in the world, gracefully and joyfully. May you take what is pleasant and unpleasant in your life with grace. May you find ease and joy in response to your experience. So these are the four basic wishes that I've expanded upon, but you're very welcome now to simply recite the ones that you're familiar with. May all beings be safe from harm. May all beings be happy and peaceful. May all beings everywhere without exception be healthy and strong of body, mind, heart, and spirit. And may all beings know love. live with ease, without struggle. Before I ask for any questions that might be there, 
just want to quote from Alice Walker, we are indeed the world only if we have reason to fear what is in our own hearts need we fear for the planet. Teach yourself peace and pass it on. Thank you. So are there questions? Gina, my favorite name. I have two technical questions. Um, On previous retreats, I thought we sent metta to our families, family members, and I we didn't talk about that, or maybe I'm misremembering. And that, so that's one question. And the second question is, when I sat retreat last year with Trudy and Jack, one of them, I can't remember which one, would say, may you too be safe, may you too be healthy. And I hadn't heard that before, and I was curious. Your thoughts on that? No idea why they were doing that, but, you know. Everybody had, well, what you're bringing up, I'll, I'll do the second question first. What you're bringing up is that it's a, it's a creative practice. And so whatever works for you to open your heart, whatever works for you to pervade your entire being with kindness, with love, can't be bad, right? So... Um, it's not like you can ruin it <laughs> by breaking, you know, there are some things that the form shouldn't be broken, like a retreat, right? If we were to break the form of the retreat, it wouldn't be a retreat anymore. How, but metta practice is, is not the same kind of thing. It really can be as however you want it. I mean, I, I've taught many metta retreats where people will come and they'll say, you know, the difficult person, I can't give them metta unless, you know, I can somehow f- picture them tied to a chair, blindfolded, <laughs> gagged, handcuffed to the chair, feet tied down. And we say, go for it. <laughs> Whatever you need to do to feel safe so that you can open your heart and pervade your whole being with love is perfectly fine, as long as you are lovingly blindfolding them. <laughs> lovingly gagging them, right? For your own safety rather than for their discomfort. <laughs> Not a problem. Right? So, so you can be as creative as you want to be with, um, with the phrases. The only caveat is that... Um, if you're going to use it as a, um, a, a, a jhana practice, uh, a concentration practice, then somebody asked yesterday about using it on people who had passed away, and, and I think Devin said, you know, if you're using it as a jhana practice, then it's not a good idea, but you could do it if you're... So if, if you're using it as a just because it has two benefits, the cultivation of the heart as well as the development of concentration, that if you're doing um, the cultivation of the heart and you're not quite so concerned with concentration, although I don't know why you wouldn't be, um, that you can, you can vary the, the, the phrases, you can work with people who are 
you are intimately involved with, you can work with people who, are, who, you're, um, who have passed away. So it's, it, it depends on how you're using the practice. What was your first question? About um, family? Family. So yeah. same, same thing. So you can use family as um, spouses are in a little different category. Yeah, and what I normally do is, um, so my nephew is the youngest member of my family. So I kind of pick, his name is Miles, so I pick him to represent the whole family. But I just use him because he's Oh, so you're using family as a category? Yeah. Um, I don't know about that. That's not part of the classic process, but it could be that somebody that taught you used it as part of the... As, as they're, you know, they've created that as one of the categories. But it's the, the classic categories are um, self, benefactor, friend, and sometimes they break it into two friends, one who's doing well and one who's not doing so well, neutral person, difficult person, all beings. That's the classic development. And so if you want to use family within those categories, because if you're not making so many decisions as you're going along, it, the, the practice flows smoother if you're saying, well, you know, I can't. And I like to say, you know, you should audition candidates for your different categories, <laughs> right? So you can use somebody today and see how that is and then use somebody else. And, you know, but I like to just kind of use the same people so I'm not making decisions. The, the practice is just flowing. It's just flowing. really hard and I may have picked the wrong person for my first difficult person and at some point I felt as if I should pull back from that person and then I had the thought that that's aversion but I'm not sure how to take care of myself while sending Meta with my heart fully open and feeling so harmed. So, thank you for that question. So, one thing that we didn't do because of our time constraints is forgiveness practice. And I actually prepared a whole thing for forgiveness practice and then realized that the time just wouldn't allow it and I didn't want to open it up. I. <laughs> and then and leave a, an open wound, right? Because forgiveness practice should really be done in a way, all by itself, so that we are opening our hearts and understanding why we're opening our hearts and doing it again as incrementally as we need to. So sometimes we don't want to rip it open, we just want to like create the smallest opening. And that's why we, um, recommend that with the practice of the difficult person that you choose somebody who's mildly irritating, right, rather than your worst enemy. And I'm sure there are many people in between. So if you find yourself in those kinds of waters, what you may do is do a um, 
a mental bow to the person that you have you chose and thank them for allowing you to do it and back out of the room and then go with someone else because because it's not about your your objects of metta and I hate to call people objects but you know what I mean it really is about the the, the development of your own heart and so whatever works and even and I the, the instruction I didn't give you is that you're supposed to take and this is part of the classical instructions take a comfortable po- posture when you do it doesn't mean you should lie down because then you'll probably fall asleep but but that you should really take a comfortable posture so everything about the way that the, the practice is designed to develop is um, gently, kindly, um, slowly over time, rather than trying to rush in and shift something that is difficult. You know, so if somebody's your difficult person, they've probably harmed you in some way, or at least you perceive it as harm, which is all that matters when you're doing this practice. And um, so, you know, just an irritating person that you don't want to be around is good enough. And that's the other thing with the meta practice is good enough is the standard, right? It doesn't have to be perfect. So, and maybe you notice um, that the hurt is much deeper than you thought, right? And that's a good thing because then you can work with it. And, uh, and you may want to look into the forgiveness practice, which can be really healing. Um, and again, that's one that you tiptoe into. And you, you, you forgive as you can. And again, it's not about forgiving and forgetting, although it would be nice to be able to, but it's really about forgiving because you understand that holding resentment is poisonous to your own heart. Right? It's not about them. It's about us. It's about what, how we are in the world and what, what we want to carry. And, you know, there's enough resent, uh, injustice and um, violence and greed and war that of course needs to be addressed and to not let that war and violence and greed and anger and hatred fill our own hearts. So that's what we're working on. That even as we do justice work or we address injustice, we are not taking that on as a mantle. So it's a, it's a, it's a lifetime's work. And I recommend it highly. (laughs) I'm sorry we have to stop. So thank you so much for your practice. And um, it's time for walking. Hmm? Oh, and, and Dara has a last group.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.